0: This is the Daily Signal podcast for Monday, June 27th. I'm Doug Blair.
1: And I'm Rob Bluey. On today's show, I speak with Michael Pack and Mark Paoletta about their new book, Created Equal. Clarence Thomas, in his own words. We also read your letters to the editor and share a good news story to kick off the week. But first, we want to tell you about one of our favorite Daily Signal resources. If you are looking for an easy and entertaining way to keep up with the news that you care about, then you should subscribe
0: to the Daily Signal's YouTube channel. The channel offers interviews with policy experts on the most critical issues and debates America is facing today, as well as short explainer videos. that break down complex issues, as well as documentaries that dive deep into the ways that policy actually impacts people. Go ahead
1: and subscribe to The Daily Signal's YouTube channel today. You can search for the channel on your YouTube
0: app or visit youtube.com slash Daily Signal. Now stay tuned for today's show coming up next.
1: We are joined on the Daily Signal podcast today by Michael Pack and Mark Paoletta. They are the co-editors of a new book called Created Equal, Clarence Thomas in His Own Words. Gentlemen, thank you for joining the show. Thank you for having us on. Rob, thanks for having us on. Well, we appreciate you being here at the Heritage Foundation or you're doing an event to celebrate the launch of this excellent new book. <laughs> uh, you, Michael, you have worked on a film by the same name, uh, but let's focus on the book first uh, because it's brand new. It's... Clarence Thomas, as the subtitle says, in his own words, why is it so important for you to, to collaborate on this particular project at
2: this time? Well, it is a spinoff of the film. So the film, for your listeners who haven't seen it yet, and I hope there are not many, but if there are any, they can still see it. It's streaming. It's on Amazon. It's on Newsmax and Fox Nation. And they could go to uh, our website, manifoldproductions.com, and find out where else it's streaming. So we did the film, and the film is called Clarence Thomas in His Own Words, because I interviewed Justice Thomas and his wife Ginny for over 30 hours, and we had him looking directly at the camera, so he told his story. So listeners, viewers got his version of events from his birth up to today, and the interview was over 30 hours, which is longer than any Supreme Court justice has ever granted an interview, and it was an honor to get that from Justice Thomas. And I always say that we took the 30 hours and we narrowed it down in the first pass to nine. And Mark Paoletta said, it's perfect at nine. Uh, But no one else thought so. So we made it the two hours that we had promised PBS to make it. But Mark always wanted to get those missing hours back in. And he came up with the idea of the book as a kind of revenge, I guess, (laughs) and to get those hours in. in, in. And, And he was actually right. There's a, a huge amount of material. The book is 95% new material, and it's really great material. So it's
3: really Mark's brainchild. Yeah, it was um, it was quite an honor to work with Michael on the film. Uh, he's a, uh, the best documentary filmmaker, and to have him interested in making the film on Justice Thomas was was just wonderful. And to be able to work on it in the way we did and the way I did was, was just, just a a, a, a treat, um, and as we made the film, though, and we saw all these great passages and exchanges get cut away, uh, it was just killing me that mm-hmm. you know we're going to lose all of that. And so, going through the the, the all the interviews and pulling it together uh, into a book as a way to. It's more material. So Justice Thomas talks more in depth about the things that Michael went over in in the interview, but also things that he didn't even touch on, his favorite books, or books that had an impact on him, movies, right? But also on, you know, expanding on sort of the liberal policies and the left and their tactics and how vicious they are and the tactics they use and how their policies destroy families, right? And so you you hear more of that in this interview. Uh, And then it's just a book. And a book is much more accessible than a movie. People will watch it. You know, many people have watched this movie multiple times, but it's not something you just pull up and say, oh, I just want to watch this clip, right? Maybe maybe once in a blue moon. But with the book, it could sit on your bookshelf. It could sit on your desk. It could sit around and you can pick it up and open up a page. And the way we made the book is still chronological through his life, right? But- the the, the the table of contents is really broken out in sort of a title and then like five to ten subtitles so that if you look at it, you can see, oh, this is going to talk about Carnegie Library or this is going to talk about you know his love of Ayn Rand's Fountainhead. And so you can see that and say, oh, I want to go look at that part of the book and read it. So you can read it all the way through, but it's also very accessible um, and just more accessible as a book than a movie. And that's why I thought getting – Uh, I don't know if it's my life's mission, but it's something I'm very dedicated to of, you know, sort of defending Justice Thomas and promoting his work and his legacy in his life, which has not been done enough uh, and that more people hopefully will learn more about in this in this process and, and, and as we go forward.
1: Well, that is so true, Mark, and I, I know that you are somebody who has spent a good portion of your life doing exactly what you just said. And for those of our listeners who aren't following on Twitter, encourage them to to, to do that, uh, to search out the work that you've done, not just there, but on your op eds and everything else that you've written. Michael, you bring a, a great uh, history of, of documentary filmmaking. I, I, I would like you to each just take a moment to share your connection to Justice Thomas. What what? was the passion behind the, the movie to begin with, Michael. And then, Mark, if you could recount some of those stories that you shared with Heritage President Kevin Roberts for our listeners who didn't hear that particular podcast, I'd love for you just to to reflect on the first time you met Justice Thomas and how he's been an influence in your sure. life.
2: Well, um, the whole project started because some mutual friends of Justice Thomas's and, and mine, people I knew, were concerned that they left and his enemies were telling his story. There was an upcoming HBO movie called Confirmation um, with Kerry Washington as Anita Hill that took a negative view of the of the Hill-Thomas hearings and they wanted to get his story out and I didn't know that much about him uh, but... I met him—as soon as I met him, I knew, as anyone who has ever met him knows, that he is a has a great personality, a great life story, and is a great teller of his life story. So as soon as that happened, I really wanted to make the film. It took me a while to come up with a form of him telling it directly to camera. I mean, we pursued the idea of a traditional documentary first, where we would interview, you know, 15 or 20 people on all sides of these issues. But I thought Clarence Thomas's voice would be lost— and I didn't want to take sides in these things. The, the goal, a the primary goal was always to get it on PBS. It was, it was released first in movie theaters, it was in over 110 movie theaters until COVID hit, which is a lot for a documentary. Usually five or 10 is pretty good. And then it did really well on PBS. It was on primetime. And it's, as I said earlier, it's now streaming on Amazon and elsewhere. So my goal was to get it on PBS, and how would, how was I going to deal with the fairness question and doing all sides and not lose Justice Thomas's voice? This way, its subtitle is Clarence Thomas in his own words. You get to hear his view of everything, including the hearings and his time on the court and his 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 extremely eventful life from poverty in the segregated South to today his way. And it doesn't. if you don't like him, you can say, I don't believe him, but we have actually heard from lots of people on the left who saw the film on PBS who said, I didn't like him before, I still don't agree with him, but now I understand him and where he came from. And, and that's what documentaries are supposed to do. So that's how I came to it, and it has been an honor to get to know Justice Thomas and be trusted to tell his life story. He had no editorial input, so it was a lot of trust. And an offshoot of it is to get to know Mark, another great uh, honor and privilege of the process, uh, and that has been great, too. So. Um, that's sort of how I came to it.
1: Well, thank you, Michael, for sharing that, and 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 congratulations on the success that you've had. I I know the challenges that must go into getting PBS and and the distribution into theaters, and I think it's just a testament to the the high quality of your work. And and I hope that you have equal
2: success with uh, with the book. But, but let me yes. make a point before you go on to Mark. I, I think that conservative films can be successful. The Clarence Thomas film is a model. We try to make films that reach the center, that people can watch whatever their politics and give a fair account of what they say they're going to do. This says – this: the the deal with the viewers, this is going to be Clarence Thomas in his own words and so it is. We can reach the middle. We on the right, there are too, many, there are many, there are very not way too few conservative filmmakers, and what there are are ones that make sort of red meat conservative films, which preach to the choir, which is fine. But we can't let the left tell the st- our stories to the entire rest of the American people, and we can get them out there, you know, PBS and and other sources. We simply haven't put in the time, effort, and money that the left has done to do that, and and we post this film, are going to be dedicated Manifold Productions, my wife and I, to doing that. Well, that's great to hear. Thank you for setting the, the
1: example and uh, and being the lead model for hopefully future other filmmakers who come and, uh,
2: and follow in your footsteps. Well, we are starting an incubator to train young right-of-center filmmakers. So there are too few of them. The left have hundreds. We do not have any. So we're going to start tr- start by training a few a year and hope to build from there.
1: Mark, Take us back to the 1980s when you first met then Clarence Thomas, uh, who was long before he became a judge. But then bring us up to you know the current uh, situation that uh, you know the times that you spent together as, as with your, your family and his uh, his wife Ginny, and just how he's been an influence on your life.
3: Uh, just he's a wonderful, wonderful friend and person. I first met him in uh, October of 1983 when I was a senior in college. And uh, George Bush was—Vice President Bush was going up to campaign for my uncle, who was a Republican mayor of Bridgeport, I uh, flew up by Air Force Two, and um, uh, went to this event. And in Bridgeport, in, uh, uh, Pre- uh, Vice President Bush went on to another fundraiser in Staten Island. And I stayed behind, and it just so happened that Clarence Thomas uh, was speaking at a college, uh, Sacred Heart University, where his friend and former colleague in the Reagan administration, Tom Malady, who was my mentor— uh, was hosting him. And so Clarence and Tom came over uh, and I was there and one of his aides was there. And, and we just you know, kind of sat around for about an hour in the Sheraton lobby and it just loved him. Like it's sort of like, like anyone who meets Clarence Thomas, right? He's just, you know, just electrifying. He's got this great personality. He's engaging. He engages you, right? And, and in your interests and, and listens to you. Unlike so many people, right? And here I am a college senior Happy to be up on this trip, you know, with the vice president for my uncle. and But I meet this guy, and he just made such an impression on me. But I was a senior in college, went on with things. I ended up uh, g- joining the the Bush White House in 1989. Uh, I was working on judicial selection. And r- very early in the administration, uh, like, like in January, February, February, uh, we wanted to reach out to Clarence Thomas to see if he'd be interested in being on the D.C. Circuit. And... For, however I was a young <laughs> where I volunteered you know I think I have referenced meeting him before and reaching out to him and asking him for his you know his articles and his speeches and his writings so we could vet him all right and I ended up talking to him probably for an hour right when I first called him and it's just such a great conversation it's just so, again engaging interesting funny uh, just just fills the the, the the conversation fills the room and from that conversation and I still have the letter he sent to me. Uh, something like, "I hope your eyes are, you know, strong to read all this stuff." Because uh, as I look ahead at your your task, you know, I um, know it's going to be long nights or something like that. Um, out of that was born our friendship. And um, I worked with him a little bit on his D.C. circuit, uh, and he offered me a clerkship uh, on the D.C. circuit. But um, the council's office offered me a job in, uh, to work for Boyden Gray, and I stayed in the White House, and then ended up working on his confirmation, where. It was just, uh, you know, um, a war, right, uh, a hell uh, uh, to, to, to attack and destroy him. And out of that work, uh, our, our bond was forged um, and worked very closely with him. You know, I always say, like, a lot of people helped Justice Thomas get confirmed, but the person most responsible was Justice Thomas. And, I, you know, like, right from the get-go, like, right after he was nominated, you know, he was nominated on July 1st, I think that was a Monday or Tuesday. That Saturday, after kind of all the, you know, sort of commotion of the beginning of the confirmation, I went over to his chambers, um, like on a Saturday morning, on the DC Circuit, and we went through. Uh, and we had become close already by this point. You know, we had even when I was on DC Circuit and stayed in touch. Our, you know, I got to know Ginny and and, and my wife, where the four of us who were friends. But he went through his Rolodex with me of everyone like who's this person who's this person so in case things pop up and you know as we as we go through this fight here are my friends to call it was, and I think back on that. So as these things popped up, because I spent my summer batting down lie after lie after lie on, on Clarence Thomas, right, that he had a Confederate flag, right, that he was a tax cheat because there was some tax lien uh, on his house, which was completely false, right, uh, that he – there was domestic violence allegations in his divorce, which was completely false. All of these things just took a, a, a lot, a lot of time to respond to. Um, but he had the foresight sort of, you know, Mark is going to be my guy. Uh, to help, you know, sort of address all of these things as we're going through, and 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 that he trusted to 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 help respond to them, you know. So going back to uh, to that
1: moment, you know, really that and and of course Robert Bork's uh, confirmation, you know, really set us on a path that we find ourselves today, where where we have these big fights over Supreme Court justices and and other judges. Frankly what is as you talk to to justice thomas what are his reflections and thoughts about that period in time and the lies that he was faced with and the the terrible situation that he he was confronted in and how did he have the strength and courage to carry on
2: well the way he tells it, both in the film and the book, is that, you know, not everyone remembers the hearings have two parts. And the first part was sort of like the Bork hearing. You know, it was a vicious attack, as Mark kind of alludes to. on all these other fronts, lies about him, you know, look at his record, questions from the Senate Judiciary Committee on natural law, on Roe, on all these things. And it was a very tough period of time. And it, that When that was over, Justice Thomas and Ginny went off on vacation and they thought it was over. And the, the Senate Judiciary Committee split 6-6 six, six and sent the nomination up to the Senate and they were ready to relax. And then, as Mark also said, the, the, the Al- Anita Hill allegations were leaked. And then it was in NPR and Newsday and the Senate Judiciary Committee was called back. As Justice Thomas has said, it's like you run a marathon; it's over. You relax, and then you're told to run another marathon. And and Jenny is very eloquent on this in in the book, I think. And she said, you know, there was nothing left of Clarence Thomas. He had used all his his normal responses, and they felt they had to fall back on faith. Jenny particularly talks about this. I mean, and they no longer cared about about getting the nomination. And as you may know, that some of his advisors advised him not to give the famous high-tech lynching speech on the commonsensical thing is, if you want people to vote for you, don't attack them. But he thought it was about honor, honoring his grandparents, honoring his the nuns who taught him, defending the, his values and principles, and he wanted to speak the truth directly and strongly, and so he did. So, so that's the way he tells it. You know, Mark lived through it with him, but, but that's the way he told it. I want to say something about Mark and the Thomases. So making this film, I'm trying to get the story right. And so I talked to Jenny once or twice, and she said, well, talk to Mark Paoletta. He knows more about our lives than we do. And I thought that was kind of an exaggeration, but it turns out to be 100% accurate. And, you know, so he, his knowledge is deep. So my knowledge is what Justice Thomas told me in the interview. Well,
1: I I I agree with you on that, Michael. As I've gotten to know Mark, and and Mark came to Mark and I reminisced recently about how we were at the same event here at the Heritage Foundation with Justice Thomas in October of, of 07 when his book came out, uh, My Grandfather's Son. And uh, and so I believe that about Mark. I think that is that is true. Mark, let me ask you, fast forward to today yeah. because the attacks have not ended. In fact, we're in the midst of the January 6th committee and we see the attacks continue, not just on Justice Thomas but on Ginny. Yeah. And and how do they get through this? Uh, and, and by the way, I, I have to commend Ginny for coming out and saying I will testify I will tell you the truth so very much taking a page it seems from Justice Thomas himself
3: yeah it's 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 unprecedented the attacks that are on the Thomases I think it's sort of directly you know in relation to sort of Justice Thomas's you know influence uh they've always wanted to destroy him going back to the confirmation you know Justice Thomas knew that they were coming for him right always and he never trusted that he was you know um that there was something, that they're going to come and, and try and destroy him. And, and, you know, he had to wear a bulletproof vest uh, at, at the time uh, because there were death threats on him back then. So we're living this right now, right? But I was scarred or informed by that confirmation You know, that the Kavanaugh one was just seemed to be a replay. But a lot of stuff that's happening now, it went on with Justice Thomas. It's just on steroids now across the board, right? And I think— the left wants to destroy the Supreme Court because it's no longer their playground to enact, you know, their legislative priorities, which they couldn't get through, you know, a legislature either at the state level or, or the federal level. Um, and the Thomases and, and Justice Thomas, you know, bears the brunt of it because he's this black conservative who's never bowed to them. And they're now trying to get to him through his wife to try and get him to recuse. They know they'll never bend him or intimidate him. It's just trying to. Get him recused in some crazy way. And I've written a lot on this, Robin. You know, the recusal sort of arguments have no place in the law or in precedent. There's lots of uh, judges um, and justices, quite frankly, who have had spouses that have been in law firms, who have been in the public square, where nobody's recused, and they're actually celebrated for it, right? So it's been very tough uh, on on the Thomases. Um, Particularly, Justice Thomas has been through a lot, right? And there's been times when they've actually gone after Jeannie Thomas back with Obamacare back in 2012. There was a crazy one there, too, right, where Jeannie says... Obamacare is a disaster. And for some reason, Clarence Thomas is supposed to recuse himself from the Obamacare cases because his wife opined, right? When we have, literally at the same time, um, Stephen Reinhardt's wife, who's the head of the ACLU, Stephen Reinhardt, a judge in the Ninth Circuit, very liberal, the most reverse judge, I think in history, um, uh, and the late Stephen Reinhardt. And he um, his wife is the head of the ACLU, uh, Southern California, and she files a brief in the court below that goes up to his, Um, his court and he sits on it and everyone applauds him for, you know, this, this, this great couple, you know? Uh, So there's different standards. There's always different standards for Clarence Thomas, right? And they're applying him to his wife now too. But going after his wife is really, really bad. It's really despicable. And it really hurts Justice Thomas and he understands it. And it's not going to, it's not going to bend them or break them. It's just difficult, and uh, but they they have each other. They have an ex- ex- extraordinarily strong relationship in marriage, and they have their faith, so they'll get through it. And um, you know, and this is really Justice Thomas. I call it in full. I mean, this is you know the court has come his way on so many cases. Uh, he is the leader. He's got you know multitudes of former clerks that are judges now that are rising through the ranks. All these law students, as one of his liberal. Um, I don't know if critics, but a, a writer said, Justice Thomas, you know, has he's written these dissents and concurrences that law students have read and said, Wow, uh, I like that, and I'm going to use that going forward. And he's energized the whole army of people to, you know, to, to implement. And when I say implement, be faithful to the Constitution as an originalist uh, when they go about and make those arguments and not be afraid to make them and show that courage. I think that's the greatest... Um, the legacy of Justice Thomas is going to be the courage he shows and the kindness. And as I mentioned to you in our, the podcast with Kevin, you know, when Justice Thomas had gotten through his confirmation and was all beat up, uh, really beat up and utterly destroyed, goes on the court. One, the first c- conference that he sits on, he switches Rehnquist and Scalia's vote, right? So the racist trope that he has to—but also just the the ability to do that literally the first week he gets confirmed and walk into this conference— and then a few months after that, I was diagnosed with cancer, and um, we had just had our first kid. It was obviously devastating. And even though he had been through this terrible trial, he was there for me every single day, called me, came by, visited me, brought me out to his house that he was building, and we designed sort of the um, the island, which to this day, he says, Mark and I designed that island, uh, you know, brought me pies, took me for hamburgers, always checked in on me, uh, and just thought about me. And It's a special. It's it's a special thing, but he does that to hundreds and hundreds of people, and it really is amazing. And that's the story. He'll never seek that recognition, right, or that you know attention for all those things he does. But Justice Sotomayor the other day said, as as, you know, uh, your listeners may have heard, said something similar, right? Justice Thomas knows everyone in the courthouse, their who their family is, their kids, how they're doing, and that's just just who Justice Thomas is. Yeah, thank you for sharing that personal story, Mark. appreciate you opening up and
1: letting our listeners um, hear that. I I think it just speaks to his character and and humility. So uh, you you mentioned his legacy, and I want to ask Michael to weigh in on this as well. How do you think history is going to judge Clarence Thomas?
2: Well, I am hoping that his legacy has not been written yet. I'm hoping he stays on the court for a good long time. Uh, However... You know, I think he's done, you know, as as Mark said, he's written over 600 opinions, more than any other Supreme Court justice. He his influential in almost every area of the law. We focused in the film and to some extent in the book, although the book is broader even, on the affirmative action cases where he was strong, but he's been very strong on the administrative law cases. That's I think another area where he switched or at least persuaded Justice Scalia to come closer to him. Uh, on perhaps reconsidering Chevron deference and these other and these questions of what how to restrain the administrative the administrative state, which is uh, you know the the part of government that has taken upon itself uh, upon itself legislative, judicial, and executive functions um, that rightly belong back in Congress. And so he's I think that he he's still got there are a lot of areas where he's influential and. But one of the reasons we wanted to tell his life story, and this goes to another point of Marx, is I think he's influential in his personal story in his life and what he stands for, maybe more than any listing of 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 the court of the of opinions he wrote or his positions. And I think he does affect a lot of people individually that know him. As Marx's story is a very very dramatic example of. And I hope the film and the book lets people who don't know him individually, as as we three do, have a chance to spend time with him and 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 get his and get that sense of who he is as a person beyond the particular stance he takes.
1: Mark, to that point, uh, do you have a favorite part of mm. the book that uh, that you mm. particularly recommend to to <laughs> readers, or a favorite story from the, mm. that the justice recounted in the film?
3: <laughs> That's tough for me. You know, it's such it's such an emotional. Uh, experience with the book. So there's, you know, just like when I read his speeches and articles and he's just like calling people out, I'm a fighter, right? And to read Justice Thomas taking on Congress and just laying them out in those speeches 40 years ago or 30 years ago, um, uh, he does a lot of that in the book, right? He really calls out the left, and their policies and their tactics—that's fun, right? Then you have the personal stories, right? Uh, of growing up and and knowing I've been down to Pinpoint several times. I know his mom and kind of the you know sort of the, the environment he grew up in, uh, and so and obviously the visits to the nuns, uh, which he talks about, and the influence on them, and, and again bringing it back to, I was you know, again here's a story on Justice Thomas. He uh the the irish nuns uh ran the school or he went to school his, his grandfather enrolled him in st benedict's in the segregated south in, in savannah uh and in the 80s he goes and seeks them out to thank them for everything he he they'd done for him uh and then one of them testified in his his, his uh, confirmation and i got to know her sister uh, virgilius uh who's taken on this larger than life sort of you know um uh whatever uh, uh position and Every Martin Luther King Day for about 15 years, Justice Thomas and I would drive up uh, to go visit the nuns in Tenafly, New Jersey, um, in the retirement home. So there's probably 60 of them, 80 of them, uh, all of them between the ages of 60 and what, the oldest one at the one point was 108. Um, and we'd go spend the day with them and sit in the cafeteria and have lunch. Uh, and then we'd drive back down. And that's the—so that's in the book, but it just brings back a great memory— uh, you know, uh, of of doing that with him. So it's a wonderful book uh, on so many levels, including the administrative state. The other thing that Justice Thomas can do is really break down complicated constitutional questions in a very relatable way about the separation of powers and how the founders wanted to separate those powers to protect our liberty in that administrative state we were just talking about is where they're all coming back together with these agencies and running our lives. And it's just so perfect the way he talks about it you know uh, very you just break it down and that shows you his command right and the way he can have your common citizen understand these important important concepts in our in our in our constitution in our in our in our country so it's it's uh, as Michael said the nine-hour film was was perfect for me so um, you know there's there's, uh, there's a lot of parts I like in the book. Well, I'm so glad that you were able to <laughs> capture it
1: in the book. Uh, Michael or Mark, uh, any final words you want to share with our listeners as we wrap up here about Justice Thomas or your work on this project?
2: Well, I I think we have to say, appeal to listeners to buy the book, right? It's available on Amazon.com. <laughs> it's available on BarnesandNobles.com and everywhere else you can get a book. And I also think they should watch the film, those who haven't. And that is streaming on Amazon. It's streaming on Fox Nation and and Newsmax and Salem and many other places. And if they go to our website, manifoldproductions.com, they can have a full list of the places it's streaming, some for free. So I encourage them to watch it. There's nothing I feel that I could say that's as good as hearing directly from Clarence Thomas. That's why we structured the the book and the film that way. Uh, But it, it has been an honor and privilege to work on the film. And I hope we've conveyed some of that to listeners.
1: Michael, for our, our listeners, we'll make sure that if you go to DailySignal.com, you're able to get links to all of those okay. uh, places to buy the book or watch the film. So thank you for uh, for outlining them for us.
3: And, Rob, I really want to thank you and Heritage and Kevin mm. Roberts in particular. What Heritage has done mm. to honor Justice Thomas is just really, really amazing. And, you know, there was a, a symposium, uh, um, I guess, in October of 21 of uh, honoring Justice Thomas's 30 years on the bench. And it was a full day um, a, a symposium with a number of his former law clerks that are judges talking about justice Thomas's jurisprudence and I would uh, invite your your listeners to go to your site and look at that um, th- that, that symposium justice Thomas actually gives a speech uh, which is definitely worth hearing obviously uh, and so um, and and I had the pleasure of sitting down with Kevin and you doing this and we're having an event tonight um, to, to celebrate the launch today is publication day for for our book and um Um, And it's just really uh, honored to be here and to be able to talk about Justice Thomas.
1: Well, thank you both again for, uh, for co-editing Created Equal, Clarence Thomas in his own words. We'll be sure to leave our listeners with a link to, to purchase the book and, uh, and follow the, your work as well. I, I know this is not the end of, uh, of what you're doing, Mark, in terms of uh, telling the truth about Justice Thomas and Ginny. And, and Michael, it sounds like you have exciting plans in the future with your productions. And so we hope that this is not the last conversation we have. You're always welcome back at The Daily Signal. No, thank you. We Thanks, both, Rob. We appreciate it. The Heritage Foundation has a new website to combat critical race theory. CRT, as it's known, makes race the centerpiece of all aspects of American life. It categorizes individuals into groups of oppressors and victims. The idea is infiltrating everything from our politics and education to the workplace and even our military. Heritage has pulled together the resources that you need to identify CRT in your community and the ways to fight it. We also have a legislation tracker so you can see what's happening in your state. Visit heritage.org slash CRT to learn more. Thanks for sending us your letters to the editor. Each Monday, we feature our favorites on this show. Doug, you're up first.
0: In response to Brenda Hefera's article, The Woke Takeover of James Madison's Montpelier, Brian Farley writes, Excellent and very sad to expose what is being done to Montpelier. We were just at Monticello in March and came away fuming. They've done the same thing to that. This is historical erasure with profound consequences. I was three to four years old when my parents first took me to Williamsburg and Monticello, and the impression it made on my little mind blossomed into a great love for my country, warts and all. What are today's four-year-olds coming away with after their visits? And in response to Philip
1: Reynolds' article, New Museum Bears Witness to Communism's Horrors and Honors Its Victims, Chuck Gifford writes, What a powerful article. Every American needs to read this article to remind them of the consequences of a Marxist and communist takeover of our country. Unfortunately, most of us have no comprehension of the consequences of the takeover that is well underway. By the time they wake up, it will be too late.
0: Your letter could be featured on next week's show, so please send us an email at letters at dailysignal.com.
4: Are you looking for an easy and entertaining way to keep up with the news you care about? The Daily Signal and Heritage Foundation YouTube channels offer interviews with policy experts on the most critical issues and debates America is facing today, as well as short explainer videos that break down complex issues and documentaries that dive deep into the ways policy actually impacts people. Go ahead and subscribe to both the Daily Signal and Heritage Foundation YouTube channels today. You can search for either on your YouTube app or visit youtube.com slash heritagefoundation and youtube.com slash Daily Signal.
0: Bernadette, I understand you have a good news story to share with us today. Over to you.
4: Thanks, Doug. In Long Island, a 17-year-old Marine answered the call to action when a teenage girl named Mia Somolinski accidentally drove her car into Long Island Bay. Anthony Zonger, who would become a lifesaver, dove into the bay after Mia's accident in hopes of saving her. Anthony describes to ABC News what happened when he realized what was going on and swam down to Mia in her trapped car.
0: She was banging on the door, banging on the window, trying to break the window, of course. And then that kind of got me nervous, like scared for her. So I just took my clothes off and went into the water. The dive was pretty pretty far, so it was just right there. As soon as I looked up, grabbed the door handle.
4: Unfortunately, the driver's door would not unlock, so Anthony had to figure out some other way to save Mia. He realized using his own weight, pushing the front end of the car deeper, actually pushed the trunk door open. Mia was able to escape out the back, and the two safely made it back to shore without injuries. Anthony describes that moment.
0: She just came up to me and said, oh my God, thank you, and was crying, that's all.
4: Mia's father shares his gratitude for Anthony.
0: He jumped out of his car and jumped in. And because of that, you know, my daughter is A, alive, and A, not really harmed. You know, I mean, it's a miracle.
4: It is no doubt that Anthony has already and will continue to serve our country well, in and out of uniform.
0: Bernadette, thank you so much for sharing. We are going to leave it there for today. You can find the Daily Signal podcast on the Ricochet Audio Network, and all of our shows can also be found at dailysignal.com slash podcasts. You can also subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, or your favorite podcast app. If you like what you hear, please leave us a review and a five-star rating. It really means a lot to us, and it helps us spread the word to other listeners. Be sure to follow us on Twitter at dailysignal and facebook.com slash the Daily Signal News. Happy Monday,
1: and have a great week. The Daily Signal podcast is brought to you by more than half a million members of the Heritage Foundation. The executive producers are Rob Bluey and Kate Trinko. Producers are Virginia Allen and Doug Blair. Sound designed by Lauren Evans, Mark Guiney, and John Pop. For more information, please visit dailysignal.com.